see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Today, we kicked off day two of Pack Expo Las Vegas and Healthcare Packaging Expo 2019 with over 700 attendees at the Packaging and Processing Women's Leadership Network breakfast event. The crowd was captivated by astronaut Ellen Ochoa, the first Hispanic woman in space and second female director of the Johnson Space Center. Today, OEM Editor-in-Chief Stephanie Neal was fortunate enough to have a few minutes of Ellen's time for our podcast. Stephanie. Take it away. Thank you, Sean. Ellen and I are going to jump right into the conversation. So, Ellen, in, in 1993, you became the first Hispanic woman to go to space when you served on a nine-day mission aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery. Um, since then, you've had three other missions. Yes. Um, and you went on to become the 11th director of the Johnson Space Center. But let's start at the beginning, because you really had an interest in music early mm-hmm. in, in your career, correct? Uh, yeah, when I when I went off to college, I really wasn't sure what I was going to major in, but probably the two things I was really thinking about at that time were music and business. And I, you know, I hadn't taken really any science in high school other than biology, so I'd not had physics, I'd not had chemistry, and really wasn't headed that way at all at that point. Mm-hmm. So what what happened to to make you shift in direction to, of all things, become an astronaut? <laughs> Well, you know, fortunately, I had taken a lot of math in high school, mm-hmm. and I, which I liked, and I did well. And, and so when I went off to college, although I originally kind of didn't pursue it, I ended up thinking, well, I might as well finish up the calculus series. I had done one semester while I was in high school. And um, so, you know, as I was talking to other students in the class, of course, they were all majoring in you know, engineering and mm-hmm. physics. And um, this was kind of sort of towards the end of my second year, and I decided against my original choices. So I was looking around trying to decide what I wanted to do. And um, and so that's when I, I thought about, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go check into some of these other classes. And, and physics particularly intrigued me. And then, you know, I got a, a somewhat a wel- more welcoming um, approach from the, the professor that I talked to as I was looking into it. Yeah. So, so during a time when women weren't really going into the STEM industry or, or into any kind of you know engineering or physics or technology, and were you getting the encouragement a in school? But then even when you um, got the job at NASA, were you getting the, the 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 sort of encouragement and inclusion that you needed to succeed in the role? Well, you know, I, I can certainly give you examples on both sides, right? Where, <laughs> you know, I talked to some people who were in, uh, discouraging me to do it, but then others who absolutely did encourage me. And, um, you know, I 
talked to one engineering professor at San Diego State who clearly was not at all interested in having me in his department, but then again, got quite a different reception from the physics professor that I talked to. And once I was in that department, although it's true, there were hardly any women, um, you know, after I'd taken the first class or two and had done really well in particular, you know, I think um, the professors were, you know, were, were welcoming and were fine. And, and, you know, I had a good experience there. Um, and at different times all throughout my career in graduate school, you know, I had a, a thesis advisor and associate advisor who were really great um, to work with. And I had people um, throughout my career who who you know gave me opportunities, gave me opportunities for visibility or to show off what I could do. Um, again, you would occasionally run into the people that um, were on the other side. I can remember specifically in graduate school, um, you have to pass a, a PhD um, sort of entrance exam to be selected to that program. And what it consisted of was um, meeting with 10 different professors individually for 12 minutes where they asked you a question and then you answered it just verbally. I mean, you could use a blackboard to work through a problem, but there's no record of your work or what happened in that room. Mm -hmm. And that professor can give you any score he wants. And they were, of course, they were all men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of my friends overheard one of the professors saying, well, I've never passed a woman on that test and I'm never going to because they don't belong in our department. I mean, there was really no way to know who mm -hmm. thought that way. Right. <laughs> right? Um, but clearly there were a lot of professors who were supportive and particularly the, the one that I worked with as my uh, advisor was, was very helpful. And he's someone I'm still in contact with today. Right. So then let's just move on to now you're, you're actually going to the international space station. <laughs> okay. You're in close quarters. You are basically with crews of men, except for one mission, correct? You had one uh -huh. mission where there were three women right. on board. But how does that dynamic, aside from the fact that, you know, you're, you're very well trained mm -hmm. from um, a technical perspective um, and everything that goes with getting into space, but how do you manage the relationships in that small space in nine days. Is that something that they train you for? You know, I really didn't find that to be a problem. And, and I think a lot of it is that, um, you know, when you get assigned to a crew, first of all, you know the other people at least a little bit because you're all in the astronaut corps. And then as you train, and you usually train for about a year before you go up on a mission, you get to know the other people really well, you know, their families. And so it's really, I think everybody thinks of each other as individuals, uh, you know, rather than, oh, she's, she's the one woman on the crew. So I didn't, I didn't have any trouble interacting with, with the, the folks on my crew or once we were in space. Um, yeah, it can be close quarters, although the space station had a lot more room than the shuttle itself. So, um, but it, it, you know, it, it really wasn't an issue at that point. Uh, were there any frightening moments when you, you know, were launching into space when you were orbiting? <laughs> well, anything that, you know, we see movies all the time that, yeah. you know, where there's catastrophe. Was there anything that happened? Well, fortunately, everything important worked really well yeah. on our flights. There's always little things where some piece of equipment isn't working right and, and you have to help diagnose it either on board or working with the ground. So we had a number of little things, but nothing that was affecting our safety or our ability to really carry out our mission. Probably the, the only moment that really gave me, you know, a little bit of a pause was on my very first flight as we were launching. 
you know, um, the first two minutes, the solid rocket boosters are burning and you get up to about three G's worth of acceleration. So it feels like somebody that weighs three times as much as you is sitting on your chest. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, and then they separate away from the shuttle at that point because they're, they're, they've used up all their fuel. And you go back down to about 1G or, you know, just a little over 1G. And then you start to build up from there on the liquid engines. Well, what it feels like is like you stopped. And partly because the solids have a lot of vibration associated with them too. And the liquid engines are really smooth. So like all the vibration stops, the acceleration drops. And I thought, wow, that can't be good <laughs> from mm -hmm. stopping. But actually it was very normal. You know, then, you know, you could start to feel the acceleration build up. And of course you could hear the, the calls between the ground, you know, indicating everything was normal. But just for a couple seconds there, there was this feeling of like, how come we're not moving anymore? <laughs> um, is there anything that like that you are most proud of or that you can reflect on in any of your missions? Well, you know, uh, fortunately, on all four of our missions, we accomplished everything that we were supposed to set out to do. Um, so we got uh, a lot of excellent um, data on our atmosphere and on the sun on my first two missions. And, and then we assembled what we needed to do for the International Space Station. So to me, you know, I, I don't think of it as an individual accomplishment, obviously. And, and it's not just the crew that's in space, but it's the whole team that has worked to prepare the mission and has worked with you during the mission, you know, everybody in mission control and all the, the backroom specialists that you don't necessarily see on TV. You know, it's really a big team effort. And, and but I, I actually think that's more rewarding, you know, mm -hmm. that everybody's working toward a common goal. Um, so as the director of the Johnson Space Center, you um, had mentioned that you had a job of accomplishing the mission and taking care of the people. And you also initiated programs that connect innovation and inclusion. Do you feel that as a woman, you were integral in that culture change, or um, is it just a natural evolution of, of the way the organization is evolving? Well, I would say when I was deputy center director, that we were already starting to move in that, in that uh, direction, and that the director I was working for, who was a, another astronaut, Mike Coates, um, was... Is strongly aligned with these ideas as well. And, and so he and I first worked together as a team, you know, along with the other senior leaders at the center to start uh, moving in that direction. And then I had the opportunity to expand on that um, when I became director. So you have accomplished so much. And I recently read a quote from you that said, I'm committed to spaceflight, human exploration, learning how to do more. I like the fact that it is much bigger than myself, important to my country and to the world. I like being able to contribute in this way. I'm just wondering, I mean, these are such powerful words and you are doing something to change the world. But should every woman sort of be committed to contributing to something bigger than themselves, even in their own little part of the world? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's a very personal decision that people should make for themselves. But I do think that a lot of people, um, if, if they're able to contribute to something, I'll call it a mission, although in the same sense necessarily is a space mission. But if there is a mission that they're working with other people to accomplish, I, I think that provides a lot of fulfillment, a lot of um, reward to people. And that really brings out the best in people if you have the opportunity to be able to. And any advice to students? 
starting out um, in terms of following their dreams? Well, you know, certainly for me, my education was really the key for me having the kind of career that I did. So, you know, I'm paying attention to education, taking it seriously, working hard. And uh, of course, for my area, it's important to be taking science and math, but that doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't be taking other things too. I mean, I, I think that English courses are important because communication skills are important in our job, but in pretty much every job as well. And and so you want to be thinking about that as well. And and for the astronaut job and, and NASA in general, teamwork is really important. And so people get that through a lot of different ways. In school, a lot of times it's through sports teams, or in my case, it was through music and music groups mm -hmm. where it's that whole idea of I need to both be excellent personally and work on my skills personally, but also realize, okay, now I'm part of a team. We're part of a, you know, a band or an orchestra, and it's really the output of that whole group that's important, not just what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And where do you see the future of space exploration and of women's roles? Well, it's a really exciting time in space exploration. Um, so, you know, in addition to um, operating the International Space Station, NASA is developing a new heavy lift rocket and a spacecraft to go beyond lower orbit. And they've been asked to, you know, land people on the moon in just a few years. And then there are a lot of companies, in addition to the aerospace companies that I think people are very familiar with, like Boeing and Lockheed, but a lot of, a lot of newer ones like SpaceX, and Blue Origin, Sierra Nevada that are developing new spacecraft, new ways of uh, going to orbit. And so, it, you know, it's, it's really an exciting time to be in this field. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, you certainly have pioneered. Um, you have definitely paved the way for many future astronauts. So thank you so much. I appreciate everything that you've done for this world. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.